Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Now, we all want to look and feel our best, both inside and out. We often talk on this show about internal medicine problems, but today we're going to take a more outward approach. Dr. Shim Ching is in the studio. We're going to talk about the latest in cosmetic surgery, including breast lifts, reductions, using radio frequency energy to stimulate collagen production, minimally invasive ways to improve the looks on your face, neck, brow line, and much more. As always, you can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free 877-941-3689. Welcome, Dr. Ching. Thank you so much, Kathy, for having me on your show. Well, you know, I always say to myself, if only I could look and feel younger, that would be great. And in fact, you're the type of person that could make something like that happen. Let's talk a little bit about what are some of the common things that people see a cosmetic surgeon about? Let's sort of start maybe from the face area. Well, in the face area, people are either seeking to improve their appearance. So they may have a certain facial feature that they don't like. Uh, that we can improve on, or people are seeking to look younger. So I guess people would generally fall into those two groups. Okay. Given the fact that I think I would like to look younger, like yesterday, let's talk about what sorts of things are out there, maybe some common things that people may be familiar with, what things help people to look younger. So if you've already tried topical treatments and or various different types of dermatologic treatments, and yet you still find that as you get older, things are going south and you don't want them to go there, what sorts of things are available to help people who are interested in looking younger? We'll start with that. Well, To look younger, um, it's very exciting nowadays because we have so many things that a person can possibly pursue. Uh, There are many non-invasive treatments, which has really revolutionized what we do in cosmetic surgery and plastic surgery. And that's generally how people start. Um, When you start with the non-invasive treatments and discussing them, people generally think about injectables. And those fall into two groups, fillers, where we inject a substance into the face or another part of the body to build up uh, an area or to fill a wrinkle. Um, And there are many different types of injectable fillers nowadays. We also have Botox, which works a different way. Botox is a medication that can stop a muscle from working. And we're injecting tiny muscles in the face to prevent the occurrence of wrinkles. So fillers would be one side, Botox might be another. You know, I'm always curious. So if you put something in as a filler, there's a variety of different types of categories of fillers. Where does it go? It doesn't last forever. So if you inject something in there, where does it where does it go if it stops working after a year? Yeah, very good question. In the case of fillers, most of them are temporary. So they are often something that exists in our body already. So when they're injected into our skin or deeper in the body, your body gradually works on it and it absorbs it. And then um, in the course of four months, six months, up to maybe two years for some of the fillers, it uh, gradually goes away. Now, when we talk about things that are that are fillers, is there ever a time, I mean, can you, let's just say you decide to get collagen to fill in 
maybe some areas around around the mouth area. That seems to be a place where people might do that. Very common. Can you ever, like, is there ever a limit if you put in a filler and then your body absorbs it, you put in another filler, your body absorbs it, it, it how much is too much? Well, I guess it could be too much if it starts to look unnatural. And that's something that whoever is injecting has to have a good eye for or a sense of. Um, you could inject too much filler and it would not look right. It would look like something has happened to the person that uh, isn't aesthetically appealing. Um, apart from that, these fillers can be injected again and again. And I have many patients uh, like that who come in every four to six months or so, for example, to get their lips filled, which is a very common area to uh, get injected. And there's really no problem, it seems, repeating these injections uh, uh, for a long period of time. So there's no limit that you know of. It doesn't appear to be. And what sorts of things do we inject? You said there are things that are naturally in our body. I'm assuming it's collagen. But there are some other synthetic things as well. When we talk filler, what exactly are we putting in there? The most common filler that we use nowadays is a filler that is based on hyaluronic acid, which is a component of uh, our skin. It's a chemical substance that, synth- that is synthesized in, in a lab, and it's a clear gel. Um, it can be altered so that it's a thicker gel, um, so that it lasts longer, but that's really the most common filler that we're using nowadays. So you would put that in, it might last for about, am I right, like 18 months or so? Or you said some people come in every four to six months. So depending on where you put it, it might last a different duration of time. Exactly. So it does depend a bit on where we inject it. Um, But that uh, chemical compound can be altered so that it can last longer. And that would be different than some of the -the over-the-counter products where you're topically applying this, you know, hyaluronic acid which is in a lot of the different cosmetic sort of wrinkle creams. So you're injecting it, so it's, I would assume, more effective? Yes. I think um, because people are using this so much, some cosmetic companies are using this in their moisturizers or facial creams. Um, I don't know how much of a benefit there is from applying it topically, although uh, I'm sure it would make you know somewhat of a good moisturizer. But when we're injecting in the face, we're actually changing the form of the the face, we're filling in wrinkles. It's a very direct uh, approach to uh, the issue that the patient wants corrected. Well, speaking of wrinkles, let's talk Botox. Now, that's been around for a long time. We know that it's based on, you know, if too much of Botox could potentially cause a problem. But these days, pharmaceutical grade Botox is something that is relatively safe. And You know, for a while, there were like jokes about stars in Hollywood where their face wouldn't move. But correctly using Botox doesn't necessarily paralyze the whole face so you have no expression. When people consider doing something with Botox, where on their face do they put it? And how is it that they're able to do it in such a way that it still looks natural? Yeah, great question. I mean, when somebody is injected Botox, you don't want to inject so much um, in so many different areas that there is no more facial expression left. Um, Somebody has to do this with an artistic touch, just like everything in this sort of business. Um, And just inject muscles that uh, would potentially cause wrinkles or expressions that are not desired. 
So, for example, the most common area to inject Botox in my practice is the frown lines between the eyebrows. Um, that's not an expression that is particularly useful. It makes people look angry. Um, and if you can make that expression go away, not only does it remove the wrinkles that occur in that area, people call them the 11s because they look like the number 11, those two vertical lines between I'm the I'm never going to look at someone the same way. <laughs> You've got 11. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it makes people look happier, it makes them look rested, and also gets rid of the wrinkles. And that's a very small localized uh, muscle. It, it's a muscle that we don't really need for other expressions. So when we block a muscle like that with the injection, it works very well. Now, how long does that last? We like to re-inject at four months. So um, ideally, people would get this three times a year. And if we do that, then the wrinkles will not come back for that year, usually. Is there any limit to how much of that you can, and how much Botox you can inject in a certain area? Um, well, again, we don't, we like to keep within a certain dose. Uh, so after you've done this for a while, you understand how much usually a person needs. Um, we don't want to inject too much because then it's just wasted. Um, but we don't want to inject too little so that we don't have the full effect of the medication. So could you essentially do the Botox to those 11s for years? Uh, yeah, if you kept repeating it, and we have lots of patients like that who just don't want those wrinkles coming back, um, who come in regularly every four months. and They could do it for years. They Is could. there ever a point at which the muscle just if if you maybe if you don't make that expression for whatever reason um that you know you can't because you've done botox injections is there ever a point at which you just you just train yourself not to do that anymore so you don't even need the botox because it doesn't normally contract yeah it would be nice if we can do that because then you know we wouldn't form wrinkles on the face but in a lot of people, it is a fairly involuntary action, and I think it would be hard to consciously not make those expressions because they happen when we're irritated, when we're angry, when we're concentrating, all these sort of situations, and I think it would be hard to consciously not do that. To really focus on that. Yeah, I sometimes think, you know, when I wore contact lenses, I knew don't touch your eye because if you did that, you could potentially irritate the eye and irritate your contacts. So I sort of now find that I rarely touch my eye because mm. I wore contacts for years. So it sort of became a habit not to do it. But I can see where facial expressions, it would probably be very difficult because you can't see it. It's not like you're physically touching your eye. It's like you can't see that you're making said expression you're trying to avoid. So they often, I hear about Botox sort of in that particular area, but also in the forehead and maybe in some other locations. Now, there's actually some medical applications for Botox for people yeah. who have mm -hmm. severe headaches or if they have nerves that are giving them troubles. So not only is it used in the cosmetic world, it's also used in the neurology world and in other locations for other reasons as well. Most definitely. I think the first application of Botox was for something called blepharospasm, where your eyelids twitch uncontrollably. And that's where they first started using it. And from there, they found these cosmetic applications, which um, have just uh, exploded in terms of um, how many people are getting it. Now, I've heard that if you do an injection, whether it be a filler or Botox on one side, in order to be symmetric, you probably have to do something similar on the other side, unless that procedure is helping you to gain symmetry because of some other type of an issue. Yes, very true. 
we generally inject both sides of the face if we're um, doing fillers or Botox. Okay. So on the face, those would be sort of injectable types of things you could do. There's also other types of treatments that would probably still be considered cosmetic that might involve lasers, that might involve other types of ways to improve the look and appearance maybe of the face, of wrinkles, of collagen, of skin. Those, would they be considered more of the invasive type of procedures? We would still consider those less invasive or Mm non-invasive because um, they don't have the actual cutting of the, the skin that people use to separate invasive from non-invasive treatments. So um, we have a lot of lasers and similar um, devices to lasers to treat the surface of the skin. And in those cases, what we're trying to do is eliminate certain pigmentation or redness in the skin that's undesirable. People like to have a very even complexion without um, any extra colors that occur with aging, sun exposure, that sort of thing. And these lasers help um, even out what we call the skin tone. Uh, Along with that, as people get older, they start to get wrinkles. And the finer wrinkles are also treated well by laser or similar devices. How does laser help with wrinkles? It's essentially causing very precise, limited trauma to the skin and uh, by burning it very slightly. And when the skin is burned and damaged, um, it comes back tighter and smoother. So it's different than if you just said, I'm going to go get myself a sunburn on my forehead, burn it a little, and then go see if my skin gets tighter. It's a little bit more of a medical application. It is, yeah. With some fairly controllable effects. Yes. And the laser light is very, um, it's essentially just one wavelength, whereas the sunlight has many different wavelengths, some of which are harmful to the skin. Um, So this is much more controlled. Um, We can do the same thing pretty much every time. So again, we're doing things very precisely for a very specific effect. And again, I'm not suggesting everybody go out there and suddenly burn their forehead and say, I'm working on my wrinkles. Yes, you're working on creating more if that's what you're doing. That's not necessarily going to help you. Okay, so what other non-invasive sorts of things do people do for their face? Well, we're really trying to develop some way of lifting the face from the outside with the device. Um, I think, you know, as uh, time goes on, we may make further innovations. But right now, we are limited to devices that essentially generate heat from the outside. And the heat that's generated can cause some lifting or tightening effect, but it is mild compared to something um, like a facelift. Um, that's, I think that's what we're always going to compare these devices to, an actual surgical lift of the face um, or the neck. Um, so we have devices, and the one that we use a lot in our office that we've done really well with is called Althera. And that's an ultrasound-based device. And ultrasound, we know, can penetrate quite deep into, um, uh, into the, the body. So we're using this ultrasound to generate tiny little thermal injuries within the uh, deeper layers of the face, and that causes some lifting effect. And does that last a long time, or is that something that you have to repeat again and again? It's something that we probably would recommend repeating every year or two. 
um, patients really like it because there's no downtime. You could really just go to work right away. You don't have any bruising. You don't have any swelling. Um, it's really a, a no downtime kind of treatment, which, again, people are really looking for. Is there a duration of time for which you see the effect? Would you do a procedure? Let's just say you went into you know, your office on Monday. Would you see the effect immediately, or would you see the beneficial effect maybe by Wednesday or Thursday? And if so, then how long would that last? Usually we like to wait about two or three months to assess the full effect of the treatment. So you could see a benefit even that far out. Yes, and then that we believe that that benefit will probably last a year or two, possibly longer. Some people do see some benefit right away, but we do like to tell people to wait about two or three months to see the full benefit of the device. And it seems like it would be a much more gradual change to their appearance. So people who are afraid of like a sudden change could be more comforted by the thought that it's probably going to be a much more gradual change. Yeah, very true. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very good um, perception. Um, it's a gradual, subtle effect uh, and is nothing too drastic, which, again, people like. Well, and it's certainly, you know, I would love to take a Monday afternoon and be like, I'm going to take my afternoon to go look younger mm-hmm. and to have it last for a whole year. I think that's really the key. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. I'm here in the studio live with Dr. Shim Ching. He is a cosmetic surgeon expert. His practice is at Hale Pava'a. And today we are talking about ways that people can improve how they look and potentially how that makes them feel by doing some simple procedures to make them look and feel their best. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about invasive procedures and who gets a facelift. And if so, what are some ways that that can be done in such a way that it can last long enough, but also not make someone feel like it's such a drastic change to their appearance that they they feel like they they have a lot of explaining to do. Now, if you've ever had any type of cosmetic procedure and you were kind of proud about it or thought it changed things in a particular way, we'd love to hear from you, hear what your experience has been. You can always give us a holler at 941-3689, toll free 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Aloha, this is John Zack with news of an inauguration. On February 14th, we'll be introducing a new classical music show made right here in the islands. The show is called Classical Pacific and features more of the repertoire of the Western classical canon as performed by artists and orchestras of the Pacific region. I'll be your host and I look forward to voyaging with you during your afternoon commute starting February 14th on HBR2, your home for classical music. As the United Kingdom gets ready for Brexit, businesses there are counting on the new president here. I think Trump has a special place in his heart for the UK, and other senior Republicans like Paul Ryan have also expressed an interest in signing a trade deal with the UK. It's all looking very positive at the moment. I'm Kai Rizdal, the special economic relationship next time on Marketplace. This evening at 6, right after The Body Show. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Kaiser Permanente and Hastings & Pleadwell, a communication company. 
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Shim Ching. He is a cosmetic surgeon expert, currently practicing in Hale Pava'a, been here in the islands for a little over a decade, you said? Yes, about 11 years now. About 11 years. And today we're talking about ways to look and feel your best. If you ever had a cosmetic procedure, what difference did it make for you? We'd love to hear you share your story because as we always hear from one another, we can learn from one another and you might be helping someone else along the way. You can always give us a holler at 941-3689. Toll free from our neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, before the break, we were talking a little bit about non-invasive ways to change your look, whether it be injecting with fillers, considering something like Botox, considering something like laser procedures, ultrasound procedures. But there's a lot of folks who do invasive procedures. And there's, there's facelifts, which I think is the traditional type of procedure that people talk about. And when we talk about facelifts, are there different types? Are there mini ones, major ones, ones that seem more dramatic than others? What are the different types of facelifts? When we are thinking about facelifts, I I guess there are smaller procedures like a mini facelift or or a full facelift. Mini procedures generally use a smaller scar and they have a more limited benefit. But uh, because there's less surgery, there's less recovery time. Uh, When we're talking about a facelift, when I do a facelift in a person, it usually is combined with procedures around the eyes, the lift of the face itself, uh, possibly the neck. And we like to call those facial rejuvenation procedures where we're trying to make somebody's entire face look younger. So it's interesting you bring up the neck as well, because in a lot of cases, people forget that not only does the face age, but also the skin and the neck ages as well. And so a lot of times people will put a lot of good moisturizer and anti-aging and sunscreen on their face and kind of forget about the neck. And then fast forward 20, 30, 40 years, maybe less, um, you can notice that. You really do notice that difference in the face versus the neck Mm -hmm. area. I like the way you describe it, facial rejuvenation. It's sort of a different way to term it. Now, we've talked about recovery time a lot. What is the average recovery time if someone were to have the full facial surgery versus a mini? We usually tell people about three to four weeks before they'd want to be in some sort of social situation. Um, People can do a lot of their activities sooner if they're not concerned about how they look. But there always is swelling, and swelling in the face changes things quite dramatically. And that makes people concerned about seeing um, family, friends, being outside, and so on. So, But usually at about three weeks, people are looking you know, fairly good. And is it, again, one of those things where you tell people maximal effect is going to take until a certain time frame to see it? Like we talked about the non-invasive, might you might see changes up to two months. When you do an invasive procedure, do you see immediate results and or do you wait until the swelling resolves? So at three weeks, this is where you're going to be at? Mm-hmm. Well, with surgical procedures, it's a bit different. There generally is some immediate effect that you can see. Um, What people are generally waiting for after they have the surgery is for the swelling to go away. And swelling in the face can make things look different. Um, But it's not the case where things will look better. They'll just look different um, uh, with a bit more time when the swelling resolves. 
So the surgery is the surgery. The swelling is subsequent to that. And when the swelling resolves, you'll actually get a chance to see if you're the individual who's had it done, you'll get a chance to see a little bit more of the effect of what has gone on. Yes. And you mentioned that you often do these procedures with, you know, the face, the eyes, the neck, it all kind of goes along together. Is that the way it's always been done? I sort of think about, you know, years gone by, and I see some people now who have had probably major procedures, and they have kind of large scars near their ears. I suspect it's gotten much better now that the techniques are different, microsurgery and different types of ways that people do the procedure that it's less obvious. I think our understanding of what makes people look natural um, without looking too tight or pulled uh, is much better than it was before. We also understand um, how to do a facelift with better scarring nowadays. So I believe um, we've progressed uh, a long way in terms of making people look um, very natural after this kind of procedure and uh, with minimal scarring. Now, talking about the eyes, if somebody just has a problem with extra skin on the eyes and maybe they don't necessarily want to do a comprehensive procedure for their face or for their neck, in some cases they need to just do an eye lift physically to help with their vision scope, but also sometimes that's the only area that they that they feel inclined to do surgery on. Can you do that separate from doing a full facelift? Oh, most definitely. We can just do one um, part of the the face or one part of the body, whatever uh, a patient really likes. I I like to tell my patients, you know, it's really up to them to tell me what makes them happy. Because with these types of surgeries, that's really the end goal, to make the patient happy. And um, we can do all these different things, but if it doesn't concern a patient, it's probably not going to make them happy, and there's really no reason to to do them. Is there residual... When when we think about, well, let's talk about just the eyelid surgery first. When you do a surgery like that, are you actually removing skin? We usually remove some skin from the upper eyelid, yes. Same thing if you do a full facelift. Is there some skin that is removed? There is some what we call redraping of excess skin. So we believe as we get older, the skin loses elasticity and becomes stretched. So there is some skin removal as well. So there's a little bit of tightening. And part of that with surgery may be removing it and connecting those other two edges together. And in other types of non-invasive procedures, the skin may tighten itself. But when we're talking invasive procedures, it's actually surgically being done. Yes, very true. But in the face, it's very important, and we understand this now, to lift what we call the deeper foundation layer. Um, if you look at young people, it's not the case where their skin is really tight. It's not making, it's, that's not what makes people young. It's the face, uh, it's the layer underneath that facial skin that is sagging. And that's what we're really concentrating nowadays, trying to lift that deeper foundation layer so that people look Uh, natural. They don't look pulled. They don't look strange. I think a lot of the older facelifts that um, people see and they identify with people having a facelift, it doesn't look good, is because just a lot of skin has been removed and that's been pulled back and that makes people look unnatural and tight and just uh, not good. So now with the the identification of the deeper layer, that's actually making it more natural in appearance? Yes. Yes. All right, we have a couple of callers on the line. We have Felix on the line from Mililani. Felix, welcome to The Body Show. Why, thank you for taking my call. 
the good doctor has spoken quite a bit about what can be done for females. There are another species out there, the males, and they are a little bit, uh, you know, they wouldn't mind having these procedures done also. What can be done for them? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up, Felix, because I think we've been talking about both men and women the whole time. Oh, okay. Okay, so whatever can be done for the women can be done for the male. I would think so on the face, Doctor. It's a good point, Felix. I didn't mean to just concentrate on females, but we have a lot of men in our practice. Um, We do a lot of surgery and non-invasive treatments for men, and pretty much everything we can do for uh, women in the face we can do for men as well. There are certain considerations that um, we have to take when we operate on men because we want them to retain their masculinity and um, for them to uh, look the way they should. But all these treatments could apply to men as well. Now, uh, let's say a full-on facelift with uh, the neck included. Approximately how long will that tend to last before stopnosis needs to be done? Um, Every patient is different. Uh, we try to give the patient the best possible result and the longest lasting result. And that often comes with a more invasive surgery. Um, if you do get uh, that type of surgery, generally we're telling people that it can last 10 to 15 years, although some patients will only choose to have the one procedure in their lifetime. I don't believe that after that 10 or 15 years, everything just goes away. People will always look younger than they would have if they hadn't gotten anything done. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling. All right, Felix. You know, it's kind of ironic because, Dr. Ching, when you talked about the 11s, the first person I thought of was my older brother. I'm like, boy, he really needs to do some Botox there because he's got some deep 11s. But uh, he, he probably wouldn't do it. But ironic that Felix thought we were talking just about women. And in fact, you know, I think any procedure that can be done can be done for both. There's some yes, particular considerations, true. but, you know, it's it's something that it's not just the ladies that need to look good, Felix. We appreciate it when the men look good, too. So that's something that uh, that certainly it's it's equal opportunity to look younger for all of us. OK, we've got another caller on the line. We have Omi on the line from Eva Beach. Omi, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, thank you. Um, I just wanted to say that um, a number of years ago, I guess, um, geez, uh, almost 20 years ago now, I had a breast reduction operation. And I had been wanting to do that, my gosh, since I was a teenager, but they didn't, they just showed me like the after, you know, like the big scar. And and I'm pushing 60. So, um, you know, when I was a teenager, and, and but it still seems to be the same procedure. And I tell you what, my I, I'm a small person, and I wore a 32 double D bra from the I would say sixth grade on, and uh, never really weighed more than say 115, 120 unless I was pregnant. So it did so much for my self-esteem, for my body image, and also headaches, backaches, uh, just a huge difference. 
Well, Omi, you're like reading my mind because the next topic we were going to talk about was what are some cosmetic things that people do both medically and just cosmetically for breast tissue. And one of the things on the list is breast reconstruction and also breast reduction. Because for some people like yourself, this was really something where I think a lot of times people don't realize how much it's affecting how they feel, whether it be neck pain, back pain, posture, etc. Or even their willingness or ability to participate in different athletic activities. Just well, and not only that, it's, well, I was very, very athletic. I, I, I extremely athletic. I was a big tomboy. And um, even held, you know, non-traditional, you know, jobs that were not traditionally and still aren't traditionally female jobs. Um, however, body image, you know, just a I, I, small woman with these huge breasts and people seem to want big breasts and I'd rather have a big butt, you know, than, than you know, it just doesn't, it, yes, there's the shoulder pain, the neck pain, um, headaches, um, but the body image for me was the, the, the biggest thing that I could finally fit into clothing, you know, without having to buy like you know, like I was small everywhere else but my breasts. Well, and, and certainly and it would make buying clothes very difficult, absolutely. Pardon me? It would make finding clothes that fit you the way you would like to very, exactly. very difficult. Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, to fit on top and the, if it was a sleeveless, then the armholes aren't correct. You know, you can see right into the bra. Buying brassieres. My gosh, you can't buy a cheap brassiere at, at you know, when you're a 34 double D, you need, you know, some real foundation. You need a foundation store, which we really don't even have these stores anymore that show you how to buy a bra and, you, and put it on properly and how it should fit, etc. cetera. Um, and I was lucky that I went to foundation stores when I was, you know, I was born in an age when we had them. And um, so I didn't end up with the deep cuts in my shoulders that I've seen many women have. Um, it's, it's a problem. I, I don't get women who, you know, want these massive, massive breasts. They're uncomfortable and, but, you know, to each his own. <laughs> well, very much so. And I think part of what you've illustrated is that, you know, for some people, they have different priorities on their body image and what makes them feel good and what makes them feel as though their needs have been met. So let's talk about, Dr. Ching, let's talk about breast surgery and the different types of options. So in some women, they are trying to augment what they have. So they're trying mm -hmm. to get larger breast tissue. Mm -hmm. In some women, they're trying to reduce what they have. They're trying to get smaller amounts of breast tissue like OMI. And in some women, it's a reconstruction issue. Maybe they've had surgery or they've had breast cancer or some type of a problem for which there is an asymmetry. And now they want to fix that or correct that in some fashion. What are the common, what do you see most often in your office? Well, with breast surgery, there really is such a variety, as you've already outlined. Uh, there are a lot of women like Omi who really benefit from breast reduction. I think it's a wonderful procedure. Um, I've treated women as young as in their teens, you know, even women who are older. And that's a very liberating procedure uh, for these women because they've uh, had large breasts and it's caused them medical issues 
uh, and it really helps when we reduce the breasts to the size that they want. Now, there are a lot of women who are used to having a larger breast, but they don't like the shape um, of the breast uh, because it's drooped with time. Um, we do have women who are very reluctant to go to a smaller size, and they want to preserve uh, the breast size that they have. But at the same time, the shape is just uh, not the way they want because of uh, drooping of the breast, which is something that's very common that happens after childbirth or just with age. Um, recently, we have taken on a new procedure that was developed in Texas by a very brilliant plastic surgeon who's been working on this for about 10 years. And in the past, a woman with a large droopy breast, I would have to tell them, um, whatever breast tissue is too low, uh, we can't put back up to where it should be. So the traditional approach with a breast lift was to remove um, the breast tissue that was too low and then put in, put in an implant. Um, a lot of women don't want implants. They want to use whatever, whatever breast tissue they already have. And this new technique called Belsoma, which was developed by Dr. Horndesky in Houston, uh, allows me to use that breast tissue in a very different way than we've ever been able to achieve in plastic surgery and put it back to where it should be. Um, we can avoid the use of an implant and uh, the other benefit that this technique has is that there's no vertical scar, which again is something that women are a bit apprehensive of. The typical breast lift scar, breast reduction scar, is an anchor shape. And in this new type of lift, we don't have that vertical scar between the bottom edge of the areola and the breast fold. So what is the technique? What is it? How is it that you can use tissue differently? It suspends the breast using um, skin and is diffi difficult to, to describe but in the traditional breast lift techniques we're using the um, outer shell of the breast, the skin of the breast to kind of um, shape the breast uh, using the skin as like an external bra and skin with time tends to stretch and sag, and that's what the original problem is. And it's not strong enough to support this breast tissue. So what Dr. Horndesky has developed is a way to um, suspend breast tissue in a totally different way. So it's more of a suspension, and then therefore you still get the natural look. You don't have the anchor scar that you mentioned, so it's it's more cosmetically appealing when it's completed. It can be and achieves this without using implants, which we've always needed to use in um, a typical sort of breast lift case. Well, that's a whole new type of device and a whole new way to look at it. And it's news to me. So I love to learn something new whenever I interview guests on the show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Shim Ching. He is a cosmetic surgery specialist. He's working in Hale Pava'a. And we are learning about different types of changes in the world of plastic surgery and cosmetic surgery and what can be done to help women who have issues with their breast tissue, whether it be too much or too little or wrong size or wrong place, any one of the above. Now, when we come back, 
We're going to talk some more about some of the other types of techniques that are coming and that some of them which are already here to help people look and feel their best. As always, our show is your show, so you can join us at any time, 941-3689, toll-free 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Hi, this is DJ Mr. Nick, host of Bridging the Gap. One of the things I love about the islands and Hawaii Public Radio is diversity. At HPR, our goal is to bring you a variety of viewpoints from voices you might not have otherwise heard. Public Radio lets them speak for themselves so that you can draw your own conclusions. It's smart, like you, and listener support makes it possible. Become a member today. Renew or increase your contribution at hawaiipublicradio.org. And thanks. 500 years ago, translating the Bible was revolutionary. That caused not only an uproar, but cost the lives of those that tried to get it done. David Suchet explains how the Protestant Reformation changed the Western world. And American expat Dave Fox tells us why he likes living in Saigon. I never get bored just sitting on the street and watching life go by there. On the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m., right after Fresh Air. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Nohea Gallery and Straub Clinic and Hospital. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. Today we are talking with Dr. Shim Ching. He is a cosmetic surgery expert has had a practice here in Hawaii for 11 years now, currently located at Hale Pava'a. And we're talking about cosmetic surgery, ways to look and feel your best. If you're not happy with a particular feature, if you want to look younger, if you feel like you have some medical concerns because of something going on in your body that you would like to change, there are ways to do it. Right before the break, we were talking a little bit with uh, um, Omi from Eva Beach talking a little bit about how breast reduction really made a huge difference for her and helped her to feel more confident, but also just helped her to achieve other goals, fitting into clothes correctly the way she wanted to, not having neck pain and back pain, etc. And that's one of the many procedures that can be done for breast issues. And you mentioned, Dr. Ching, that there is a new procedure that is out there that helps to create a different sort of suspension of the breast tissue, eliminating the need for implants with a breast lift, which certainly for a lot of women would seem very attractive if they don't want to put some other type of a substance into their body, something foreign. Although these days, breast implants are generally safe. If they don't want to use that, then they do have some other options. Yes, they do. And I think a lot of women are hesitant um, to pursue a breast lift because um, they've been told that either we're going to make your breast smaller or you need an implant. And this new procedure really, I think, is for them. All right. Well, we've got a couple more callers on the phone. We've got Gerald calling in from Hawaii Kai. Gerald, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. I'd like to know about thread lifts. I heard this procedure has gone out of favor. Thread lifts. Do you mean for the face? Yes. All right. I have heard about thread lifts before, and Dr. Ching, that's all I've done is hear about it. I don't know much more about it. And, Gerald, did you did you have one done? Did you want to have one done? No, I just want to know about it. Well, you know, that would make two of us. Dr. Ching, thread okay. lifts. Tell me more. Well, it's a very good question, Gerald, and I appreciate you calling in and asking. Thread lifts are 
a way of lifting the face using a suture. Now, um, people were doing this a lot several years ago, but they had problems because they were using threads that were what we call a permanent suture, meaning a suture that just didn't go away. It just stayed around pretty much forever. Like non-dissolvable. Exactly. Um, people do thread lifts uh, all over the world. In Asia, Europe, they're, they're very popular. Um, just recently, there is a company, um, and they make a type of uh, thread called the Silhouette InstaLift thread. Um, they don't like to call it a thread. They uh, have a different name um, uh, for the device. But we were the first people to use uh, this type of device here. We've done a few cases, and we really like it because it's a less invasive procedure than surgery. All we do is we make a small needle puncture, and we pass the suture, which has tiny little cones which grab onto the soft tissue on the inside, and it can lift the face in a mild uh, sort of fashion. It's never quite as good as an actual facelift, but people do have uh, a lifting effect from it that people like. Um, recovery is short, the cost is generally less, and uh, it's something that's very exciting that I think we'll see more and more of. So I always ask this question, and I don't know why I do, but can you do it more than once? Yes, you can. The threads are absorbable, so they go away uh, after about a year. The company says that there is some collagen production in response to the thread uh, when it's um, absorbed, um, but usually we would do the procedure again in a year or two. So it's one of those things that could be repeated. Could yes. you do a full facelift twice? Could you do one and then do it again later? Yes, you can redo a facelift. I did not even know that. Hmm. Lots of new things I'm learning today. All right. Thanks, Gerald. That was a really good question because it looks like, you know, the traditional threads, the non-dissolvable might not be used anymore, but now there are some new things that are being done. Uh, Dr. Ching, you mentioned the Silhouette InstaLift, a different way that people can have a similar procedure without that permanent thread, which might make it easier for them to do it again should they need to, yes. but also maybe have a different effect as well. All right, we've got another caller on the line. We have Amy calling in from Waipahu. Amy, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, hello, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What can we do for you? I just have a question regarding um, invasive and non-invasive surgery. When you have, when you're aging and then your face sort of, you know, how your cheeks sort of fall and I call it that bulldog jowls look, um, is that is that a full procedure? Is that a full facelift or is there any other way to um, to address it. Real good question, Amy, because I'm sure that when I look in the mirror sometimes, I'm now going to look for the jowls. <laughs> but you know, it happens. As we get older, our face changes and our structure changes. And it's a great question. When you have that sort of thing happen, are there non-invasive or invasive ways to fix it, Dr. Ching? And if so, which one is lasting longer or more effective? What sure. do you think? Well, um, generally there are non-invasive ways to address jowling, uh, which is something that happens to everybody. Um, I would probably uh, advise that the milder cases of jowling would respond better to non-invasive techniques, such as all therapy or uh, a thread lift or injecting fillers to sort of camouflage the appearance of the jowl. Um, we sometimes do a little bit of liposuction in that area to minimize that. 
However, if the jowling becomes more pronounced, then we would generally recommend something like surgery. Okay. That answers my question. Obviously, there's different options. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and people have different uh, goals from surgery as well. Um, some people are happy with just a mild improvement, and some people want a more pronounced uh, improvement. So that's part of what we figure out in a consultation, which is really important for these type of things to figure out, again, what is going to make a patient most happy. Well, and... In some cases, do you ever do things in stages? I mean, I often wonder, like we talk about with fillers at the top of the show, you know, you could do something and it's not that dramatic and you have little downtime and then you could go back to your job or go back to all your social activities. Is there ever a a time when you would do things in stages so that the change in the appearance wouldn't be so dramatic? Yes, some people do have that idea. So for facial surgery, for example, we might work around the eyes, lift the brows, that sort of thing, before we would actually do the face and the neck. Some people do like to split it up like that. The only downside of that is that you're recovering twice. If we do everything at once, then you just have the one recovery period. And it could be three weeks for the one surgery, then another three weeks. So you really are doubling the recovery despite anticipating not having as much of a dramatic look, you're still having twice as much recovery. It's true, yes. Now, let's go a little further down in the body. Let's talk about the abdomen, abdominoplasty, having a tummy tuck, all these sorts of things that can happen particularly, again, as people get older, sometimes, you know, both men or women want to eliminate fat from certain areas of the body in targeted locations. Are there non-invasive ways to do that too? I think... um For fat alone, so if people have a deposit of fat that they don't like, um, there are different options nowadays. Uh, The one that we use a lot and like a lot is called cool sculpting. And what that does is it cools down an area of fat um, to almost freezing. And what that causes is um, a change in the fat cells so that some of them actually go away. Um, this is a great treatment. It's non-surgical. It's a little uncomfortable, but not really all that bad. And it really works quite well. It's the uh, device, the the fat reduction device with the longest history and um, the longest safety record. We were the first to have this device in, in the state. And it's been a great treatment for people who don't really want surgery, which usually means liposuction when there's excess fat on the body. So this would be non-invasive? Yes. Is there a limit to how much it could actually remove by doing cold sculpting? Usually cool sculpting, we um, estimate about a 20 to 25% um, reduction at best in a given area. And these are smaller areas. We can't really reduce a large area of fat. Um, Ideally, a a patient would have a discrete um, fat deposit that we are working on. So if, if you have more and it's in more of a generalized area, that's when you do or you would consider doing more of the invasive procedures. Yes, yeah, such as liposuction or if um, there is excess skin involved, then that's when we start either lifting parts of the body or doing something like a tummy tuck. When you do something like liposuction, for example, does it come right back? It generally doesn't come right back. If you watch your diet, you don't gain weight, it probably will not recur in that area. Now, if you gain a lot of weight, it may come back in that area, but usually when we treat a certain area, um, the fat does not reaccumulate there. 
Sure, it depends on what your intention is. So that if you have fat in a very particular location, you want to just remove that, then that may be targeted for your cool sculpting, or it might be something more invasive. But if you decide to have liposuction, and then you just go wild on your food again, what 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 do you think is going to happen? It's probably going to come back. So it sounds like you'd probably want to have at least started or maybe even really focused and maximized the all natural ways that you could work on that dietary wise, exercise wise, before you would do an invasive procedure. Ideally, yes. Yeah. And, you know, when people make this investment in themselves and their body, they do um, seem to be more motivated in retaining the results and um, being even healthier afterwards. Now, one of our callers earlier said, you know, she would have rather had had bigger buttocks than bigger breast tissue. Is that something that we're seeing a lot of these days where people are trying to augment different areas of the body, maybe the buttock area, something that maybe we didn't see before? Um, is that something that people also come in and do? Yeah, it is something that um, we generally didn't do a whole lot of several years ago, but I think... Um, uh, for whatever reason, you know, just what people see in the media and celebrities and so on, uh, there is a lot more attention being put on that area and augmenting that area. And the ni- nicer, one of the nicer procedures to achieve that is to take uh, one's own fat and um, graft it back into an area um, so we can augment that area with the person's own body. Uh, without having to use implants or anything artificial. Does that get absorbed as well? I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could just say, I wish I could take a little over here and put it back over there. But if your body is built a different way and you do put fat from one location to another, will it eventually get absorbed kind of like fillers would? Well, that's the beauty of the procedure. If it's done properly, and again, we've come a long way in the last several years, um, uh, in terms of understanding how to do fat grafting properly. If it's done properly, whatever lasts after about two months or so will be permanent. So maybe some removal up to the first two months, but after that, what you have is pretty much what you're going to have. Yes, there's always some um, loss of the fat that we graft, but uh, in most cases, um, there is a significant result. There's significant survival of the fat that we graft. So when we think about things in the face, if the fat stays where you put it, could you put a bunch instead of fillers in your face and have it like hang out forever? Or is the face a slightly different perspective? That's exactly what we do. So um, areas like the lips, for example, fat works very well there. So if somebody has been getting repeated injections and they want to move to a permanent uh, result we would graft fat into the lips. Uh, With facial aging, we lose fat in our face as we get older. It's like the only place that you lose fat. (laughs) Very true. And we often, um, nowadays, since we understand aging a bit better, we replace the fat that we lose with fat grafting. In targeted areas, so that it gives you that more youthful appearance, as if you still had that fat in your body or in your face like Mm -hmm. you used to. Mm -hmm. Would you be able to do that if you've had a lot of other procedures in the face? You should be able to do that without much problem. So even if you've had a facelift, even if you've had fillers, 
the fat grafting could still be done. Yes, very true. And last but not least, pectoralis implants. Let's make Felix happy. He wanted to know if we were just talking about the ladies. Sometimes that can also be done as well. Yes, it's uh, not as common as breast implants. Breast implants were the most common plastic surgery procedure last year. Um, But we do do pectoralis implants. Uh, for men who just have difficulty getting that uh, the, the chest definition that they want, um, uh, pectoralis implants work very well. Is it the same traditional saline or silicone, or is there something different that is inserted? Yeah, these implants aren't um, filled. Uh, they're designed to be firmer, just like uh, the chest muscle would be. So they're solid silicone. Um, they don't need to be filled, unlike breast implants. And... Do they eventually, you know, sometimes breast implants over time might get hardened and might actually, because it's more of a liquid basis, if you put in a solid implant, I guess it would stay solid? Yeah, we don't seem to have um, similar issues with the solid implants that we do with the um, breast implants. So it wouldn't be the same sort of a change. You could have this implant, and would it last for life? Um. It's possible that, yeah, potentially it could last for life. Because I've heard sometimes breast implants, you want to replace those. I don't think that they should be replaced as a routine. I think the only time we would consider replacing them is if there's an implant that's vastly better or if there's a problem with them. So if they seem fine, leave well enough alone. I would just leave them alone. All right. Well, we've learned quite a bit uh, today about some of the procedures that occur in cosmetic surgery, and also some of the new things that are out there. Any thoughts on what's going to be the future for cosmetic procedures in the next few years? Are we going to get better at some of the more non-invasive procedures or develop even better invasive ones? Um, I think in terms of what's really going to change is in these non-invasive procedures. I think that's really where um, people are seeking um, more and better treatments in. So we're going to see a lot of growth in that area, and we're going to see amazing things where machines and devices can do a lot of what we want um, and may even replace surgery one day. Well, you know, that would be good or bad for you. It would probably be you know, a combination of both, I guess. combination of both. It depends yeah. on if you wind up doing a lot of the minimally invasive type of procedures as well. Well, you know, it's been an education for both myself and I suspect a lot of our listeners just to hear a little bit more about what are some of the latest things out there in cosmetic surgery. So I want to thank you, Dr. Shim Ching, for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you so much for having me on your show. All right. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Koslovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We will be right here live next week on The Body Show. We will see you then. <laughs> 